Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Noxherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include apocalypse, fantasy violence, gore, blood and bloodletting, body horror, complex and complicated relationships, death of loved ones, flirting, romance, references to sexual entanglements, trauma, and destructive sound effects. Arc 8, Episode 1. Yielding into the Long Dark. From Eulogy for a Dying World by Connie Chong. At this juncture of our lovely intro, I would love everyone to please make your fate rolls for me, which is a straight or rather gay d20 with no modifiers. Uh, so while each of my players figure out their fate, let me bring your attention to the lovely Doom and Fortune tracker here on the overlay. So basically, once per session, our PCs will make a war effort roll to push the tracker back and forth until Doom strikes on one bad end or Fortune smiles on the world on the other end of that tracker. Now, what did all of you get on your fate roll? Let's start with C slash Oka. A handsome 12. Handsome 12 from Oka. Let's go to a Biku. Uh, I got a, I got a 20. I'm taking a picture because I realized it's two weeks in a row. 20? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Let's go to Vaska. Vaska rolled a 15. 15 from Vaska. Let's go to Vasanti. Vasanti got a 16. 16 from Vasanti. Let's go to Dewey. Dewey rolled a 10. Dewey rolled, rolled a 10 right in the middle, and let's go to Jaron. God, Jor LLC bringing it home. Also a 10. <laughs> Noted. At the end of the sky, home bursts through longing thoughts. The scholar, slumbering. Counts omens against bad grain. Autumn frost chews through sanguine nightmares. Rot empties the inkwell. Black rats ransack scrolls, pulling words into wrong positions. The sleeping scholar's desk is littered with unsent letters. Deep in the courtyard, Burning rain lays waste to the hale hawthorn tree. Geese cry home. 
wind sighs a bitter breath. Ten thousand years of sorrowful knowledge, and yet a hole is found where the answer should be. Alone, the scholar wakes. The bed is emptied, the curtain undrawn. The answer is here at the windowsill, the sky gone black with void. All questions funnel to the same end. All portents fold into abyss. The scholar opens the window and dips their brush in the empty inkwell to write a poem about the end of all things. Emperor Seung of Zhen, the dream-blessed, lord of 10,000 years and paragon of Mengshen, Zhudi, presides over the first alliance meeting after the second end of the world. And the Gur is in chaos. Toktoa Kagan pounds a stern fist against a war table. Miniatures topple. Consul Bataval bickers with Duke Sweet Breeze, the Titan person's shark-like teeth flashing against the dark-skinned human man's calm yet tense composure. The silvery form of Princess Kekoa, calling in from a battered Rangapuni island, frets over her scrying bowl as she anxiously rubs at a heavily tattooed forearm. And calling in from Kinongbo, the unbreakable painted face of Lord Henka Oju observes the proceedings. Kane, champion of Nabal, draped in silk robes that bring out the silver of their eyes, props their elbows on the war map, smirking in Elder Pohaku's direction. And this older satyr man has his hirsute hands clasped behind his back and is shaking his head, whipping the braid of his tangled beard. And finally, interrupting this bickering, this bedlam, this barely restrained infighting, Emperor Zhen of Xiong raises a stern, steady hand. Enough. Our panic serves no one. Least of all, the people we are sworn to protect. Her mismatched eyes, one with triple pupils, the other warmly brown, falls onto the seven of you. Oka, Dewey, Vasanti, Vasca, Jaron, Gentle, and Abiku. You are, of course, accompanied by the other paragons, Rev, Manaya, Old Mama Lightning. Sitlali and Mercy aren't here as per the Hound's earlier conversation, so that the Keeper of Sen can take a well-deserved rest. It is upon this switching gaze that Emperor Zhen continues. It is undeniable. Dr. Aluso is the Avatar of Oblivion, and she is trapped within their shared consciousness. Of course, we are all deeply worried about the good doctor and about the future of Andake. These two ideals can coexist. But we cannot let this news distract us from the war effort. How do the seven of you respond? So, that sounds pretty bad. But, we are all still here. We could still save the doctor. And the world, too, that's important to you. 
I think Oka is sitting next to Abiku and they've been like chewing on their knuckle, I think, like just kind of like cracking it and uncracking it so deep that I think they're actually just like playing with the bone in their own body. Necromancers, am I right? They're fine. And they just look up at Abiku as she speaks, I think. We need to we need to get them out somehow, some way to find them to talk to them. I they're they're still they're still in there so we can talk to them somehow, right? We can find out a way to talk to them? Your mother father looks at you, Oka, sees the worry nodding over your face, sees your eyebrows pushed together, this dark expression falling over your visage, and says, Someone well connected to the good doctor might be able to find them in my realm, the dream realm, the sleeping world. And I think as we like hold on your face, we're actually gonna like pan over to where Gentle is standing. And from Gentle's perspective, we see this like thread beam out of Oka's chest, a glowing golden thread, I think woven through with silver, the same silver of Oka's soul, extending up, up, up out the ceiling of this high covered gur. And there's like an intuitive understanding tugging both on Gentle and on you, Vasca, as paragon of Nebusa that of all the tethers, I think, to all the people here, Dr. Eluso's string threading them to Oka is perhaps one of the strongest. And it still stands. It's still there. It hasn't been severed. I think Vasca's observing this meeting, and she is quiet for now, as everything meaningful that she needs to assert has already been spoken. And um, once the threads align and she's noticing Gentle, Oka, and Dr. Luso's thread as well, I think she finally pipes up. I think that is an excellent idea. Her attachment to you is still there. One problem. I'm a horrible fucking dream interpreter and they like glance sideways at their mother father really fast before looking back at Vasca. I need help um maybe a dream grifter Wang Butsian um Wuming even if we had help someone Halo could train me Halo could train me and we could try to we could try to talk to them right at that Halo steps forward and she is, of course, the snow-colored tiefling with all of her edges, this nice rosy pink, uh, tiefling prophet of the royal Tulongin court and the keeper of Mengshen, Judy. And right now, her fluff-topped tail is currently swishing in some anxiety. Uh, but when she looks at you, Oka, she speaks evenly. I can certainly train you, Oka, to be able to forward your dreams with some dexterity, but I fear that anything more adept than that will be akin to teaching a fish to walk. You do always have a way with words with me, Halo, don't you? Thank you. You're very welcome. Yes, uh, I do believe that my keeper aligned with anyone who might have a way in with this Wu Ming and your mother-father, Oka, their gaze falls upon gentle. Uh, could perhaps collaborate to find a way forward. But there is there's more than just the matter of reaching the good doctor. Ever since the second cataclysm struck, there have been reports of powerful, empty beasts 
the likes of which we'd never seen before, menacing every corner of Antake. There seemed to be eight in total. Some perverse mockery of our gods. And as paragons and keepers, we need to be out on the battlefield. We don't have time to waste. We need to protect our people and our homes from these entropic beasts. We also need to find a way to protect all of the paragons' souls. And I think Jaron has been sitting down throughout this whole meeting, probably still a bit too worn out to really stand or exert any sort of energy, probably like leaning up against somebody else that is sitting next to them. Like maybe uh, Dewey is sort of like nearby and he's just kind of like leaning up against them. These empty beasts, these particularly strong ones, you say, I, <laughs> I worry that we may not know what we're up against and we have to have some sort of way to make sure that the paragons don't but their souls don't get fed to that seed. At that, Elder Pohaku actually speaks up, raises, I think, his bearded throat. Jaron is right. After all, we've just learned that the Paragon prophecy is a lie. And Halo cuts in, actually averting her gaze, her eyes fall down, and she says, I think addressing the floor almost, right? Her halo-shaped horns weighing heavy on her head. I failed, you all, and for that I am so sorry. I failed to recognize this falsehood, and there are no apologies that can... Halo, it is not your fault. Not even the god we share could recognize the lie woven into our reality. Besides, there is a thread of hope. All eight paragons, we still live. It is not too late. Ah, uh, pardon me. And at that, old Mama Lightning actually gets up from the cushion she was kneeling on, and she's leaning really hard on her cane, her wrinkled face smiling and steady. You all have much to discuss, especially in the vein of alternatives to paragon death, I'm sure, so I'll keep my piece brief. The prophecy's a lie, we all know that now, which means we, as paragons, have no obligation to sacrifice ourselves to save Andake. In fact, if we did sacrifice ourselves, then the stranger would win. So, effective immediately, I resign. And she throws down an emblem of the Alliance onto the war table. I am going to protect myself and mine. Dabathati needs me. The guild needs me. Those are my people. No one else. I wish you all the best of luck. Goodbye. Goodbye. No, wait. I, th I thought she was quitting being a paragon. <laughs> because that's to Oka. Uh, Oka's like slack jawed. Uh, and then I think like this little spark of rage, like they stand up. What the fuck are you talking about? You're turning your back on all of us. Uh, and she pauses as she was in the middle of literally turning her back on the entire alliance. And she sort of says over her shoulder, I don't understand what the grievance is. The only reason I agreed to join this in the first place was under the false assumption that the sacrifice of our lives are required to protect Endake. And now that that has been proven to be a falsehood, I don't owe any of you anything. 
I did not walk around all of Ndake for nearly a year with Vinash in my fucking soul just for you to turn around now and hide in a little hole in the ground. Uh, old Mama Lightning <laughs> smiles at you, I think kind of widely, showing a big toothy grin. Of course, well, that's because you're a hero. I'm just an old woman and a criminal. I don't owe the world anything the way that you heroes do. And I think actually standing up is Kane. You selfish, bitter, old woman. You are gifted with divine power some of us can only dream of attaining and you use it like this? All of us are risking our lives to protect each other, to protect you. Oka risked their life to protect yours from the chrysalis. While I might add, again, laboring under the false assumption that my life would have to be offered up at a later date as a sacrificial lamb. Don't forget where you came from, Cain. We drink from the same well. Not anymore, you wretched cockroach. The thing about cockroaches, Cain, I know, I know. You survive, don't you? And that's all that matters to you. That's all you care about. <laughs> I was going to say, the thing about cockroaches is we don't owe anyone anything. Now, if that's all, I'd like to go back to Nabathati and protect my people with Suraksha's magic. Or is anyone else going to get in my way? I think Vaska is supporting her lower back as she's listening to all of this. And she says, You are right. Certainly you have no great contractual obligation that keeps you here. You are no longer beholden to a false prophecy. But what will you do instead? Run away to a hole in the ground where I saw Tungal. I witnessed with my very eyes the effects of the empty and what it would wreck upon the world. And let me tell you this, and Vasca's that reminiscent viciousness that was shown in Arc 7 is peeking through. There is nowhere you can hide. And unfortunately, the only thing that can protect you is if all of us work together. At all of that, all of you feel static beginning to spark inside the war tent, little pinpricks of red lightning, jumping to life, threading between Dovrenye Lito's wrinkled fingers. And she says with that smile still on her face, I'll take my chances. And there's a <laughs> bolt of lightning rams down through the war tent and strikes her. Uh, leaving a massive scorch mark on the floor. There's like the smell of iron and burning copper fills all of your nostrils. Your like feathers and the hair like stands on end and poof, old mama lightning is gone. And there's a hole in the ceiling of the gar. Oka shoves themselves back down into their seat, crosses their arms, looks sideways at Abiku and is like, Vanasha never fucking let me do that. You look upset, are you okay? 
No. Okay. Drawn is right. We're actually not allowed to die this time, right? Is that how we've all come back around here? So we need a failsafe. And Oka looks at Dewey. When you first made the God Jar, we were planning for it to be a failsafe, but it wouldn't work to save me when the Paragon Killer punched my soul out because you would have needed to kill me in a violent and terrible way. I get the feeling that if we already had the aspect of dying in a violent and terrible way, a failsafe like what you proposed initially would be helpful. Mm. Didn't you all try and dissuade me from this for like a year? And also I'm I'm out a paragon weapon. I don't I don't have forge with me. What do you I can't make I can't help do you. We, you didn't have forge with you the first time either. And look how well that went. Well, this time you're not alone. And you forget that you did save my life. More than once. Dewey uh, looks around the table for someone else to take his side in this, but seeing that no one is going to uh, discredit his work, I guess, at this meeting, um, he sighs. So what? More god jars? Oka pulls out of their pouch a golden chisel, and they kind of thump it into the table in the middle of the meeting. What about something like that? A bond. So if we die, instead of going toward the seed, it goes towards that. Like a net in the ocean. Vasca, could it work? Do I know if it works? (laughs) Uh, I think the theory is valid. Theoretically, it should work. It would just depend on the execution. Like, you would need a really skilled artificer uh, to make something that would attract the soul toward it instead of the seed. I think you see Vasca thinking, and she, like, looks up at all of you, and she says, We are working in the realm of the theoretical. And, like, our last venture into the realm of the theoretical, she looks at Dewey, we are going to need a skill hand on and if we were to all aid you, I could certainly help with my soul magician background. We could do it. Toktoa crosses her arms and chimes in, looking over at Dewey in a way that none of you have ever seen her look at Dewey before, and it takes you all a minute because it's so unfamiliar on her face. Uh, it takes you on to register that it's respect. And she goes, Well, Cardu Quirk. You will, of course, be aided by the best blacksmiths and artificers, weavers, tools in all of Endake. They will be at your disposal. I know you don't have Forge anymore, but who needs a single god weapon when you still have Galtanger in your soul and all of Endake behind you, right? I'll do my best. We uh, should talk about the plan while Cardu works on Godjarp. 2.0, uh, Halo chimes in, uh, like threading her fingers together uh, over her waist. There should be some sort of a way, I think, to, well, to keep the stranger busy, at least until Dewey is done making these bonds, these tethers, these anchors. And we also still need a way to hold out until, well, until the other precepts arrive to save us. 
I think Vasanti at this uh, clears her throat, actually. This whole time, she's just been listening and twirling a gold coin in her fingers. If I've learned anything from my years of stealing and manipulating people, it's that a good distraction is all you ever need. If you want to steal a piece of gold from the left pocket, you have to approach someone from their right side. So if we all, perhaps, split up and go to different areas of Endake and, well, create distractions for the stranger, get the stranger's attention over here, get the attention over there, get the attention uh, in this corner, if we can keep doing that just long enough to distract it well, Dewey works on that, uh, maybe also trying to reach Dr. Aluso, we could buy ourselves a little bit of time to get all of this taken care of until we're ready for whatever the next step is after that. That seems rather sound, actually, Vasanti. Yes, that's actually a pretty good idea, Vasanti. I do like the thought of you paragons using yourselves as bait. Well, I never You would, Kane. <laughs> well, all right, sign me up. If it's a distraction we want, I can curate the finest distractions Endake has ever seen. Um, I'm sorry. How do we know the other precepts are coming to save us? We sent them a message. Ideally, they respond. But how do we know they're going to save us? If aren't they all like siblings or something? Like, I, I don't, I don't know how it works. We are, I. Uh, why would why would they want to help us? And at that, Konzo Bataval actually speaks up, like raises their big like hammerhead shark like head, and says. We don't know. We don't know what the nature of their relationship to Oblivion is. We don't know if they would actually be allies to each other. We don't know if they would even come at all. I, like I was trying to tell Elder Pohaku here earlier, strongly, strongly believe we should not put all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak. We have to hold out for the possibility that they won't arrive. Or if they do, help might not look the way we want it to look. Which is why I think reaching out to the doctor in the dream realm also needs to be pursued. Maybe there's a way we can, I don't know, figure out one of Oblivion's weaknesses while the doctor is inside their consciousness. She doesn't have weaknesses. Everyone has a weakness. She's not everyone. They aren't a person. But Lilith is, right? If anything were to be the stranger's weakness, maybe it's... Her. Impatience, perhaps? We could convince them that this little game of keep away isn't actually worth their time. Find some way to meet on a more level ground. President Lit. I mean, Lilith. And this is Princess Kakoa, who speaks up through like the silvery mist of the scrying bowl. She has always been a brilliant, brilliant genius. That's why my mother funded her research, supported her ascent through the URL. But I think Oka is on to something there. Lilith has always been arrogant. That's something I always suspected every time we met over political dinners. Besides, the URL right now, all of Nawa Island is ablaze. It is in chaos. There might be a way for us down here to figure out a way to enlist the emissary's help. Well, maybe we can do both at the same time. When we're all separated, 
And as Vasanti suggested, in different parts of Indake, we could find the emissaries there. Talk to them. Yes, their help. Yes, certainly. That would work. I have not met this Lilith. What kind of ploy can we bring her to? What games does she play? She's apathetic. Can tell you that. But she... She can look at you. Know everything about you. She likes to break people down, so... Use that, I guess. Rev speaks up. Arms crossed over her chest. Like Vasanti, she's just been listening this entire time. But now she raises her jaw. She won't fall for an obvious trap. She's too smart for that. She has to think she's moving in for the kill. It has to be convincing. If there's real fear involved, real risk, I think she'll come. Like we have to send someone alone or something? Or we put ourselves all together. I hate to suggest this because we just said real danger, but there's nobody that Lilith would want to play with more than Dewey, I think. Great. We turn me into bait 2.0. Great. I love this. Only if you want to. Only if you're willing to. Want is a funny word, Jaron. Um, (laughs) But I see the value in this. Then it's decided, says Toktoa, I think thumping her fist down on the war table. After Cardu is done making Godjars 2.0, we will thrust him into the heart of the beast. So much for respect. I respect you enough to know that you can get out of it alive, Cardu. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay. If she's apathetic, what about something loud? Something she couldn't ignore? Kane? perks up and says like a fashion show? No, 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 no. That's a little too on the nose. How about a concert? I think Vasca like this this look that she gives Kane from across the table where it's just a sideways glance and she goes We can be loud, certainly. Be distracting. The brightness Rosso has to offer. Yes, we can. Red and gold. I'm seeing streamers. I'm seeing holographic projections of the Paragon's greatest victories. I'm seeing a party for the literal end of the world that the stranger can't ignore. And all the headliners are the eight of you. We return with the bodies of our quarries, these empty beasts from all over Andake as we all, each paragons, turn the minions of the stranger piecemeal. Fucking piss me off. (laughs) Yes, we'll slaughter these entropic beasts and mount their heads on pikes. Kane. Hmm? Oh, sorry, yes. Wait, so you think for the destruction it should be, like, a party? Yes! There's nothing more irresistible than a party you haven't been invited to. This is true. She does like to crash office parties, and no one really wanted her there. (laughs) That's the end of the campaign right there. (laughs) That's one way to put it. We can't top that. We can't top that. No more. That's canon now. She's evil and loves office parties. (laughs) And Emperor Zhen speaks up. So... 
to recap, Cardu will build the second version of a god jar, a safe haven for the souls of the paragons in the event that we do die, which is very likely there are eight of us after all. While this is happening, the rest of us slay, capture these entropic beasts and otherwise distract the stranger from focusing on any one of us indiscriminately. As this all happens, Oka, Gentle, Wooming, myself, and Halo attempt to ford the Dream Realm to contact Dr. Eluso and see if there are any hidden weaknesses of Oblivion, of Lilith, of any of this. And finally, we lure Lilith, and perhaps also the stranger, to us in a grand display via the... Ah, the, uh... Paragon End of the World Concert. We'll workshop the title, we'll workshop the name of the festival, but it's it's there. The Paragon Concert. Yes, the Paragon Concert. Am I missing anything? Well, I had a question for Taktua. Yes, Abiku, what is it? Uh, war plans, ideas for how to reassemble our troops. Well, I was just wondering what we were. What do you mean, like, we're keepers? No, like, um, so I was talking to Shunyi, um, my wife, and you know, I'm aware. If you still, it's the end of the world, but I don't know if you thought about what I said the last time we talked. Uh, oh, um, <clears throat> I'm not, <laughs> Ishtar, I'm not sure what you're referring to, unless you mean the partitioning of rations between Camp Vanguard and the other camps scattered across Indake, in which case I agree there should be a more equitable distribution of supplies. No, I mean the last time that we stayed together for like a week, um, no, did you forget? Uh, I, I forget uh, things all the time. But No, no, yeah, yes, the last time you were here in Kirtal when you, when we talked strategy, when we bonded over discussing strategy for a week or two. <clears throat> yeah, so we, things were a little... Weird, I don't know. So I was just wondering, um, if you would like to explore that more? Uh, a vein is popping up on the side of Taktua's neck, uh, and her jaw is clenched so tight, and every single Alliance member is looking between her and you, her and you, and, like, <laughs> Princess Kikoa, like, slowly raises her hands to her mouth and covers it. Uh, and Emperor Genefsion just sort of averts her gaze. And Lord Henka Oju, though her face is steely as always, you all of you swear you see like a the smallest hint of a smirk <laughs> creep onto her face. <clears throat> Abiku Ishtar, uh, you know, mm -hmm. alliance meetings aren't really the appropriate place to discuss personal matters. Uh, they, and besides, there's nothing to discuss. Well, well, they said if anyone had any more questions. Well, about, about, about the war. Ishtar. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't, it just Maybe we should be done. Maybe we should all get up Agreed. and go. All of us should get up and go. No, you should stay. Uh, but all what? of us no, should get up and go. No, let them finish. No. Yeah, what? no, I'm, I'm listening for this. This is important strategy. Voska staring daggers at Toktoa, waiting for a real response <laughs> to what Abiku has just said. The tent has gotten five degrees colder. <laughs> <clears throat> Taktoa rubs her arms and goes, anyone else feeling a little weirdly chilly? Uh, no, but Ishtar, there's nothing, like I said, there's nothing to discuss. I am aware of what you brought up earlier, but this is not really, this isn't, um, this isn't the appropriate, this is, we have, we have work to do, everyone. We have entropic beasts to hunt, 
Dewey. Right, Dewey, you have a whole thing to make. Maybe I can come and help you make it. You're done. Uh, you're sure? Uh, you're not good like... with tools. Uh, I know my way around a blacksmith's forge. That's one way to put it. Uh, this is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having this, I'm not having this conversation with you. Abiku leans in. It is very cute when you get so mad. You should talk to me later. Uh, talk to us, stares at you silently, and then straightens and goes, my horses. And she turns and just strides out of the tent, just completely leaves. (laughs) I think Abiku, I lean over the Oka. It's always the horse excuse. I think my elk is making a noise. I need to go to. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Dewey pipes up. She wanted me to tell you that uh, she was interested. Uh, not sure if that came across. Thank you, Dewey. And from outside the tent, all of you here talk to his voice shout, SHUT THE FUCK UP, CAR DO NOT KNOW! <laughs> I think that went well. Thank you, Jeron. <laughs> the temperatures returned to normal. And I think on that, uh, we close down on this scene. <laughs> and when we fade up the dial again once more, we see the broad, sloped tops of hide-covered gurs populating the entire southern horizon of Kirtal as far as the eye can see. Tents, shacks, shanties, bonfires, stables, stalls, and huts dotting camp vanguard, festooned in the eightfold banner of the Alliance. Bang! A hammer smashes against the molten hot steel of a future blade. We pan up to see the blacksmith, a very large, very heavily scarred woman wearing an apron and big, thick leather welding gloves. She brings the hammer down again. Bang! Smoke curls upward into the blood-red sky, puffing in black clouds from a nearby furnace. The foul, acrid smells coil from a tanning rack nearby, with a leather strip of skin stretched between its wooden rack. Work benches litter, a sparse clearing in a loose semicircle populated by metal workers and weavers. And one of these laborers, one of these artificers, rather, is a dark-skinned human woman. Uh, She's fat and athletic, and her face is round and focused. And right now, a pair of brass goggles are covering her dark brown eyes as she's picking, I think, at a length of twine with magically glowing tweezers and then dipping it into some sort of strange acidic substance as it bubbles and bubbles and bubbles and strange clouds come up from the twine. And sweat dripping down her face, Tonga sighs sadly, frustratedly, raises the goggles and looks over to you, Dewey. Dewey, Cardu, I I think we need a stronger solvent than dichloromethane if we want to imbue any of our materials with soul magic. Uh, what do you think? I would. I just don't know where the supply chain has been all messed up, so I don't know when we can get it in. Uh, the one I wanted to use. It's really not working. It's just too unstable. I mean, you wouldn't want, let's say, Vasca's soul to suddenly split into like 10 different parts like Oka's soul, would you? No, that would decidedly be bad. It'd be um, really think, bad. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's counting on us to make this right. 
I know. I uh, I just want to do <laughs> just want to do right by everyone. <sighs> yeah, I do think we have to wait for the next shipment of supplies, though. They should be getting here tonight, and we have been working on this literally all day since the alliance meeting yesterday. Uh, maybe we can take a quick lunch break. Yeah, when was the last time you ate or slept? Uh, and she checks this, like, watch that actually pops up to have three different layers to it. Like, it comes out like a clockwork machine, and she, like, twiddles at some of the cogs. Uh, 29 hours ago. No, Tonga. Huh? What? And it, do we, like, grabs her by the shoulders and, like, pulls Ooh. her away from the forge? Uh, and her, her face actually gets a little red as you grab her and, like, pull her away. Uh, she says very quickly, like, a little high-pitched to the giant blacksmith lady, Oh, we're gonna be taking, like, a, a fiver. I mean, five minutes. We're gonna be taking five minutes uh, away. Just gonna do the... Bye, Garu. Uh-huh. You got it. Bang. 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 You gotta take better care of yourself. Come on. Like, I know <sighs> it's... I could say the same for you, Cardu. When was the last time you ate something more nourishing than a carrot? Uh, I had a cucumber yesterday. A cucumber? You know those vegetables are like 80% water, right? Don't don't get on me about my eating habits. Let's <sighs> let's go find something. Let's go over to the uh, mess area. All right, sounds good. And I think we follow the two of you as you like cut through all of these soldiers moving through the camp to this like big tented area, one of the many, I think, mess halls that's been set up at Camp Vanguard. And the delicious smells of roasting meats and vegetables and soup and like chefs banging like huge blades against chopping boards and shouting orders, I think, over the roar of fire and like the howling of like sizzling oil and water and whatnot. And I think the two of you are able to like jostle and find like a seat at the end of like a long bench. And I think we find the two of you with like big steaming bowls of rice in front of you and like various kinds of like family style little entrees. Thanks for helping me with this and coming out here on such short notice. Uh, I didn't mean to pull you away from your shop, your work. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I just, uh, wow. <laughs> you don't really realize how hungry you are until you start eating. You know what I mean? But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Xiao Hu's been taking care of the championship and insisted that I come because it's important for me to put my talents to use here with you. You know, this is big stuff. This is world-saving stuff. So of course, of course, Cardu, anything for you, for the world. Well, I really appreciate it. I you know, really it's... appreciate it. You, too. Um, th thanks. You, you too. I'm it's sorry, I, I interrupted. Go, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You, you were saying something. Oh, it's just nice to have some, someone to talk to that's, you know, uh, not also like directly involved in the Paragon stuff. Like I'm not directly responsible for s keeping their lives in, well, keeping their lives intact and also isn't my kid and also isn't my ex-wife. Yeah. Hey, I was able to um, talk to Hana earlier today. She seems to be feeling more positive about you, at least. Ulani still has a bone to pick, though. Yeah, that might be the case for quite some time, I think. Yeah, your ex-wife is... Whew. Uh, but Hana, how, how'd you like meeting her uh, for the first time? Oh, oh, she's a great kid. It's truly ridiculous to see that this child has grown up to be such a promising young woman. She's, I mean, she's a genius. You know that, really of is. course. Yeah, I 
have a hard time keeping up with her uh, her plans when she's reading them off to me. Oh my gosh, it's I don't know. It reminds me a lot of when I first started working with you. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's probably smarter than me already. <laughs> and obviously she's been helping with our whole thing, and I'm so grateful for her help. I can't believe she pointed out, like, the inaccuracy in my calculation last night. Yeah, she's sharp about it. She's sharp and also not afraid to <laughs> not afraid to correct people, which I It's, I it's like. very refreshing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice to talk to a teenager who's got, you know, her head screwed on straight. <sighs> but um, speaking of screws and... You know, um, how are you with your whole, you know, your, I don't, Forge is gone, obviously. So I just wanted to check in about, you know, that. Uh, yeah, so that's not great. Um, so Lilith has Forge, I think. But Forge is indestructible, right? Like, as, as long as you're alive, you can't get rid of it? That's what I'm worried about. What, what do you mean? I don't even want to think about what... Lilith is doing with it. And then yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not think okay. about what Lilith is doing okay. with Forge. It's probably uh-huh. very bad. She's, I mean, if I were her, I'd try to like reverse let's, engineer like a, like an evil Forge. But well, let's not. we don't, yeah, let's not, we don't have to talk about that. Yeah, it's just hard because that's all my life's work uh, in one creation, sort of. Um, <sighs> oh, Cardu, it's not your whole life's work in one creation. It feels you, like it. You've made other incredible things without a god, a literal god weapon before, and you will again in the future when we win this. I kind of have to if we want to win this, though. <laughs> so everything's on the line. I know, but you—you you don't just need Forge, do we? You're brilliant yourself, okay? Your mind. You're a genius, just like Hana. You've got incredible abilities, even outside of your divine powers. You can help, just as you, just as a person too. It's been a it's been a while since I've been able to be just a person, Dewey. You know, but you're you're right, and I have all of you. I have you and Hana and all of my friends, and they're. If not, uh, nothing if not capable, so. You're right. You've got all of us. You've got me, you've got Hana, you've even got Ulani, though I know she's reluctant. She does still care about you, Dewey. I can tell when I talk to her. And obviously we've got our helpers too. We, there's Garu, and she definitely knows what she's doing. And uh, the researchers from the URL, what were they, doctors Pelpone and Sato? They've been helping too. There's no way we could fail with everyone's hard work. You're right. We're all in this together, Cardu. You're not alone. We're here for you. I'm here for you. And she reaches across the table and holds your hand. Dewey takes it in a soft moment. He's he stopped like shoveling rice into his mouth for just this for a moment here. Wait, you talk to my ex-wife a lot? You talk to Ulani? I think we're done eating. Do you want to go back to the... Do you want to get back no. to work? Tell me what she says about me. Come on, Cardu. And she, like, grabs you and, like, starts pulling you away from, like, the mess hall, right? And I think, like, as you, like, leave this eating area to go back to the forge area, we pan across the mess hall where there's like, tons of soldiers and workers and laborers and staff, like, just eating and working and, and talking. And we see, in the middle of all of this, a familiar 
Falcon-like Aarakocra, standing there, I think, with a tray of food, like, had been on the way to that table, but paused as soon as Zephyr saw Dewey and Tonga holding hands. You can't do this, Dewey! <sighs> and Zephyr takes in a deep breath, sort of nods to himself, smiles wistfully, turns and sits somewhere else. Dewey! We follow you now back to the forging area with Garu, with Doctors Pelpone and Sato. You even see Hana uh, helping Garu out by the anvil. And by helping, I mean she's actually standing there looking up at this huge muscular woman with like sparkles in her eyes. Uh, and as soon as you like come back, like she kind of like runs over to where you and Tanga are sort of like leading you by your wrist. And she just goes, uh, hey, dad, how many weights do you think I'd have to lift to get that buff? I think you could do it. Uh, it might take a little bit, but is that something you, is that, you want to get into that? I don't know. Maybe after we save the world, after we, after, after we save the world, I'll get, I want to get really big. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and she goes back to like the forge and like continues to help Garu. Uh, and Tonga sort of like laughs at that and like lets go of your wrist. And I think like on the fringes of this, uh, sort of in the background of everything you're doing, we see like on the edges of this camp, just various spellcasters positioned on consistently spaced apart deuses uh, surrounding the entire circumference of the tent. And they all seem to be channeling some sort of a magical power. And every now and then in the blood red drenched crimson sky, we'll see one of those eyes power up basically and shoot like a pillar of pure concentrated void empty magic down at Camp Vanguard, but it'll hit some sort of magical force field and sort of disperse like plasma bouncing off the surface of a glass sphere. And whenever that happens, one of the various spellcasters will grimace and brace a little bit and stagger, and immediately, like a substitute, will step up and take their place and continue channeling. So even amidst this, like, cheerful talk between yourself and Tanga and Hana and Garu, there is still, I think, like, this backdrop, rumbling, ever-present reminder of war brimming all around you. Speaking of which... Dewey, I need you to see how well you can affect this war yourself. So I'm going to say this is your war effort role and you're using it to build Godjar 2.0, right? So make an intelligence check and add your proficiency bonus. 24. Noted. And on that, we're gonna fade down on Camp Vanguard. This time of year, Atatukai Wood is bare, bereft of forage and game. Winter moss insulates the trunks of tall, proud cypress trees. Red pines climb heavenward, fanning their empty branches toward a vermilion sky. As Atatukai bleeds into the eastern edge of the god spine, the earth slopes up down, up, down, forming mountainous, forested terrain. And nestled between the trunk of an ancient cedar and the slope of the godspine itself, we find the entrance to an old cave. Upon a first glance, this entrance is fairly unremarkable. A plain, misshapen opening of craggy rock and rhyme-slick boulder. The home to an owlbear, a displacer beast, a manticore, perhaps. But upon closer inspection, we see scorch marks. 
old black burns streaking across granite. It is here, at the entrance to Vasanti Nakshirzo's first life, that we find Abiku Shrinyi and Vasanti herself. I think at this point, Shrini kind of drops her traveling pack onto the ground and turns to face you, Abiku, and you, Vasanti. And her eyes are dark and serious. Vasanti, are you quite sure you want to try shifting for the first time here? Vasanti is looking at this cave entrance, and it's amazing how much something can change in 90 years since coming back. And... You can see her eyes getting a little bit glassy, one purple eye, one green eye. Not crying, but definitely feeling some emotions. Looking at the, you know, there's maybe some new sapling of trees around the edge of the, the mountain. There's the vines hanging off of the rock and she takes a moment and says, I can think of no better place. Oh, it was, is this hurt at all? What can I expect from this? Well, I have only done it twice, but it is like feeling a lot of things at the same time, but like, big. You know, when you have a very long day and then you stub your toe and it feels like the world is caving in? It's like that. But it's also... Like when you have a very long day and you get home and you get to lay down in your bed, it's also like that. It's it's a very intimate experience, Vasanti. Uh, Abiku filled me in about everything that happened at the Iron Citadel. And so I'm sure maybe your father explained maybe a little bit of what shifting took. But just to be clear, it, it does entail a lot of trust. Trust in yourself, and especially trust in the people who are showing you how to shift. The first time is... I barely remember it through my shattered memory. It's scary. The person who taught me how to shift was my mother, and I trusted her with my life, and it was still... scary. You have to be very secure, you have to be very stable, you have to know who you are, and you have to believe in yourself. And if being here is going to help you tap into that, then I suppose I can understand. I am the daughter of Paya Nakshurzo. I am the daughter of a long line of draconic mages. And I am a paragon. Good. I'm glad you have that confidence. I mean, no matter what happens, we're definitely going to draw that thing's attention. And Shrini sort of turns and looks deeper into Aratukai Wood, where like we're actually gonna pan away from this cave and like look at these tall stalks of cedar and pine and cypress and oak. And though we don't see the entropic beast of Jukai here, we do hear it. It is the entropic beast that has been, of course, made to hunt the god shard of Sen. And what we do hear of it are these strange, echoing whispers threading through the mists of this mixed forest here. We hear a familiar voice to you, Visanti, familiar from the depths of too long coil up go. Oka? Oka, are you 
there? Can you come home, please, Oka? Yaya's voice, and another voice layered over it, go. Oka, you left us the first time. We need you now. Please, just come home already, okay? Stop struggling against this inevitable end. Toya's voice. Another voice, uncertain, intelligent, and yet anxious. Oka, there's no way for us to think our way out of this, okay? Just come back to us. Liangya's voice. And of course, their mother's voice. Arden's low and warm and somber, mutilated, perverted, almost beyond recognition, but still there. Oka, my child, please. I know what you've done. I know the lie you told me to keep me here. And I forgive you. Just come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. All of these voices layered over each other, threading through the mists. And Shrini turns back to Abiku and Vasanti and goes, Well, yes, we'll definitely get its attention. Well, I did want to ask, are you sure you are up to do this? My love, you... It is a lot coming out of someone who also, you know. Yes, well, yes, I was embedded in a wall for a year. Uh, and though I, it was the right thing to do to keep the seed in Tonga for as much as I could, it, it, took, a, it took a big toll. It took a really big toll on me, Habiku. So I haven't shifted since I came back. But I remember how. And I know you have, my love. Yes, but I did not have anyone teach me, as you know. Um, I just sort of did it, and then I did it again. So, I am a bad teacher, because I just sort of did it, and so far nothing bad has happened. So don't do it like me, probably. Uh, yes, Vasanti, anchor yourself to that conviction. Anchor yourself to your connection to this place. Because, like we've said over and over again, shifting is very dangerous. You need that complete control. You need that complete trust. Or else, well, you monsterize. Oh, no pressure then, huh? No pressure at all. There's actually quite a bit of pressure, yes. Abiku, you're not helping? Oh, sorry. I mean, no pressure. We're confident. We're trying to work on confidence, not uh, this. You're going. I'm just. Sometimes pressure is good because it tells you something's important. Yes. 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 This is important. Uh, oh. Okay. Oh God. Okay. I can do this. Confidence. Wait. Wait. Abiku, you between the two of us are the only one who's shifted since you came back, and I know it was intuitive and instinctual for you, but, but Vasanti, before you shift, Abiku, maybe you can help guide her a little bit more? Give her something tangible to hold on to? Hmm. Oh, and I think Abiku puts her hands out and summons Grim. Well, hopefully we have a she does not need this right now. But I think it could help you. Uh, Vasanti, I think, takes Grim from Obiku for a moment, and, like, it's so strange to see Grim not in Rev's hands that Vasanti's almost like, like, it's just surreal for her. 
And then she sort of like almost in a very ritual-esque way, like holds it flat out across both hands and like closes her eyes, thinks about Rev for a moment and then sort of like hands it back in the same manner to Obiko just to hold on to while Vasanti tries to engage in what she's about to engage in. Is there any more advice before I try to do this? I think you can do it. That's helpful, thank you. Uh, uh, yes, believe in yourself. And with that, I think Vasanti looks back into the cave and for a moment, sort of like all of her childhood of Paya describing to her about how she's part of this lineage and, you know, talking about how powerful uh, her family is and all the stuff is coming into her mind. And she's starting to feel the weave sort of churning inside of her. And I think she actually steps into the mouth of the cave a little bit and you start to see some green glowing off of her and it gets brighter and brighter and then it shifts into purples and greens and it's going faster and faster until it's just purples and greens spiraling in every direction and she's going to attempt to shift for the first time. Okay, these are going to be your war effort roles, Abiku and Vasanti. So Abiku, to assist Vasanti's shifts, I'll let you either make an Arcana check for summoning Grim, a religion check for a connection to the Raven Queen, or a persuasion like charisma check to help steady Vasanti, your pick. And Vasanti, you're either going to have to make a Arcana check yourself to sort of stabilize the magic, or an insight check on your own emotional stability. 17? Okay. 18 for uh, um, religion. Noted. Abiku, you and Shrini watch as these colors flit and twine and swirl around Visanti's form until she no longer has any sort of expression or detail. She's just like a glowing silhouette of like flashing purples and greens and whites and reds and golds and browns and Shrini immediately shouts, something's wrong. And she's gonna like start to like run forward, but there's like a like a blast of magic that propels her away from Vasanti. And Vasanti, we're gonna like pan into your consciousness, and you can feel your magic ribboning out of control. You it's like you've like removed the logs of a dam, and now all of it is like gushing out past this bottleneck, and there's no way for you to control it. You could try to stop her, but it'd be like trying to hold back a flood with your fingers. You know, this magic is just gushing, 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 and in the cave is starting to swirl, swirl. We see lightning explode, we see fire, we see like these clouds of mist like also come out and plume outward from Visanti. All kinds of pure, raw, unadulterated magic just filtering out of her. And Abiku, in that moment, I think, you're realizing that if this goes on for any longer, Visanti is going to monsterize and there will be like little to no way to bring her back. But Abiku, in that instance, because of your connection to the Raven Queen, because of your connection to the realm of death, to the after, you feel something. As Visanti's magic destabilizes within it, you feel a presence, some sort of, well, I need you to make an arcana check for me, please. 19. Okay. 
This is not a war effort roll, so the DC is lower. Uh, so with a 19, <laughs> so with a 19, it's just a regular skill check, my friends. Um, you feel that that presence flickering and glitching in and out, in and out of the magic that's like wildly surrounding Vasanti feels ancestral. Okay, I want to use the uh, silver eye. Yeah, I want okay. to call silver eye and whip them into this maelstrom of magic to try to use my keeper power to anchor whatever spirit is this to help Fazanti. Ooh, I love that! Why don't you have inspiration for that? Uh, fluttering into existence next to you in a flurry of black feathers is a raven. And you've commanded Silveride to fly into this maelstrom, and they do, as they hurtle forward, you hear them go, Hey, big lady, what am I- God, God! As they- just get sucked into this whirlwind of pure fire exploding out of Asante's body. Um, and we see we see from Silverize's perspective just hurtling around and around and around and around. They're going, oh, God. Okay. All right. I got this. I got this. Uh, hey, big lady. There's someone else in here. Look. And I think you can see through Silverize's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And as you peer through Silver Eye's eyes, you and Vasanti and Silver Eye, the three of you, see at the same time a ghostly form beginning to flicker into existence in the eye of the storm, so to speak, in front of Vasanti. Vasanti, you see a woman's form. Uh, she's got this long hair that's glitching in and out, in and out behind her. You can't see her expression yet, but she's tall, she's graceful, she's strong. Something about her figure feels familiar to you. It's almost like looking into a mirror, but not quite. There are some details that are a little bit off. And Vasanti, you hear your aunt's voice threaded into clarity from Silver Eye's magic, pulling her from beyond the grave, go... Not like this. Not here. And she holds out like a glowing hand, and I think she punches her palm into your sternum. Uh, and Vasanti, as you fly back, you and Abiku both see the maelstrom break. And behind you, we see not even the cave, but hundreds, if not thousands, of past ancestors of you both. Titans, just in a line all the way down to infinity. It seems literally like the Avatar cycle. Like you see dozens and dozens and dozens of them in ghostly form just behind you as you're punched backward. And then when your left heel finally connects with the ground and you stabilize, it's gone. That vision is gone. Is there still sort of this magic at all still there? Because if so, what I would like to try to do is channel it into another spell just to like use it for something. Okay, yeah, what kind of spell are you trying to do? Uh, I think Vasanti is going to take this moment of, like, being back and seeing everything around her and seeing this maelstrom of magic still swirling in front of her. She's going to, like, you see her, her draconic mage hand pop out as her bracer, like, lights up, and you see her, like, try to grab it almost and pull it into the ground, and you feel the shaking. There's tremors all around them, and I would like to cast... Meteor Swarm, but I want to flavor it as a giant spectral dragon head comes out of the ground. I'm talking huge. I'm talking as high up as you can see as it starts just spitting four meteors, aka fireballs, into like around this forest and the god spine. 
and just getting that magic out somewhere else. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to make like an arcana check to see how well you can control this to limit collateral damage and to see if you'll, you will hit your quarry. Is there any chance, because this is like sort of a save, if I could do a charisma check because charisma is the source of like draconic power? Okay, okay, you know what? Make a spellcasting check. Make a spellcasting check with your, with your modifier, yeah. Okay, 24. 24, okay. Punching out of the earth, scattering pebbles and grass and weeds and soil in a massive cavalcade-like eruption. We see the head of what appears to be a titan in full draconic form just explode from the earth in front of the cave and open its huge mouth filled with razor-sharp stalactites and stalagmites. And we see cracks open on its throat as molten hot lava churns upward, 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 and outspits multiple huge flaming boulders all across Atatukai Wood. And based on your check, I think when they explode onto the ground and we feel the earth quake and shake and tremor, um, those whispers from earlier, from that entropic beast of Jukai, of the god shard of Sen, those whispers get whipped up into a pained furor as I think you have hit aspects of this beast based on that role. And I think we're gonna pan back to the three of you, Abiku, Vasanti, and Shrini, as you're flanking either side of this huge draconic head. And like Shrini like, starts to move for her pack, you know, and like cracks her neck and like lightning starts to spark off of her shoulders as she's preparing for the oncoming fight. And as we like pan away from your trio back into the woods, we sort of hear those voices conglomerate even more. Home, home. Home, Oka, home, 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 home. And they all sort of like mash together into this like empty void dripping form that isn't trying to even pretend to be an aspect of Oka's family anymore. And I think like, what's the last image on the two of your faces uh, as you square off against this beast? I think Abiku was smiling because she hasn't, I don't think it's happened often, but I'm sure there have been times she had to fight with Shunyi, like, against something. I think she's excited to fight along Shunyi again. She probably has, like, a giddy school kid smile. Hell yeah. We pan over to Vasanti. Vasanti, a little bit wary from that. She's kind of, like, huffing a little bit, but she holds up her dragon claw hand, and you just see the beginnings of more sort of flame magic swirling in her palm as her face is just, like... I'm so ready to kill this thing now. Yeah, and I think on both of your expressions, set and ready, convicted and resolved, giddy and prepared, we cut away from the scene. Snow, thick and furious, blizzards across the white plains of Zima Lake. Alabaster powder coats Zima's frozen surface. To the untrained eye, Moroz is a dead zone, even when Apocalypse isn't bearing down. But to those born and raised in the commune, we know that dozens of feet underneath the ice, the water teems with life. Fish, shrimp, Sharks, barracudas, octopi, squid, even monstrous creatures like winter hydras and finned remorazes. All of these unseen marvels, these worthwhile beads strung along that same thread of interconnected life, are now terrified of the end. 
even the animals know something's wrong. The winter snow here is painted red, crimson, bloody from the ever-present vermilion light of the stranger's sky. And Vasca, you stand in the middle of this howling wintry gale flanked on one side by Costas. The two of you have lured it here, away from the vulnerable settlements of the commune, and now you await its fatal arrival. You even think you can see it, a glitching, twitching silhouette in the distance, blurred by rapid snowfall. A vague, humanoid shape, all black void and sparking limb, a deadly evolution of the black star that impaled a biku during your first excursion. The entropic beast of the god shard of Netbuza, set to hunt her, to hunt you, Vasca. It's too far for you right now to make out any concrete details, or maybe all of this is just a trick of the snow, and it's not even here yet. Either way, as you stand in this whirling gale, this blizzard, Costas turns to you, their hood drawn, fur framing his half-flesh, half-frozen face. You're sure we can beat this thing? Just you and me? Didn't a uh, weaker version of it almost kick our asses the first time we were here? A weaker version of it did indeed kick our asses, but that was before I was a paragon, and that was also before all of the adventures that you've been on, dear Costas. Right, yeah, yeah, we've gotten stronger, stronger, stronger. And as they mutter, you sort of see them worrying that line that separates their flesh from the ice. Uh, they've been worrying at it ever since Oblivion picked them apart. Are you all right? Huh? I, and I think Vasca, like, while observing this empty beast, Vasca has par a parable dangling like a pendulum, as if trying to sense where it is, this empty beast is stops doing that and reaches out her hand to that area of, the, of their forehead, the seam. What's wrong? Oh, uh... <clears throat> and they clear their throat and look awkward and nervous as you reach out and, like, touch their forehead, but they don't move away from you. It's, um... It's just... I mean, I know I, I trust you not to tell anyone about this because it's really embarrassing, but... I don't know, just, um... Being split in half doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a really weird feeling, and I did not like it, and it's still... I guess I can still remember what it feels like. And I, and I think when Costas retells that, like, there's a very, very visible wince um, shifting of the muscles in Vasca's face hearing that, and she looks back at them and says, I... I imagine not. And kind of like creeps closer and wraps an arm around theirs and like threads her hands on Costas's hand. Gonna be okay. I will, I will not allow Oblivion to do that to you again. I, and Costas kisses you. Ah! Ah! I think, <laughs> I think Vasca's shocked, 
for like a hot second and pulls away and he goes Cassus, I we should talk yes yeah 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 no no you know what just uh f- forget it that was and they like let go of your hand they like actually forcibly pull their hand away from yours where they're hold where you're holding them that was that was really that was really dumb I'm just I'm sorry that was obviously you wouldn't I mean the way you looked at me when I it's not I'm just too this is not obviously you wouldn't no. want no that's no that's not what I'm trying to say I Costas you know I care about you right yeah I, 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 I guess I you are my foundation you you're my rock you and Abiku are both truly the few pillars in my life that have kept me tethered to gestures to the crimson light that's covering the entirety of our world in the face of all of this I do love you Costas but I I but perhaps not in the same way that you're expecting I my love for Atalanta that bond that connection I don't think I... I don't think I can replicate that in this life. For your war effort roll, Vasca, make me a persuasion check. Oh my lord, Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's a natural 17 plus 17! That's fucking... <laughs> 34, baby! 34, baby! Let's bring this back, gang! Let's bring this back! I was like, don't, don't break... Don't, don't want to break up in the world. <laughs> noted. Costas looks back at you, and you see that his eyes, well, his flesh eye, is brimming with tears, but they don't fall, not yet. (laughs) Vaska, I... I'm such a fucking fool. (laughs) This whole time, I... I think I've just been trying to date people, trying to sleep with people, trying to fuck people, because I think that's that's what's valuable about me, I guess, and that's what's gonna break the curse, and this whole time, I, I, I don't think I've been able to see you, just the way you are, just how you care about me as me, and you as you, not with any sort of sex or romance or any of that bullshit, I, I just, I, I... I guess this whole time I just, I thought, and a part of me still thinks that love is supposed to look a certain way. And the person who cursed me, the the witch, she, I loved her. Vasca. I think I still do. I don't know why I treated her so bad, and I, I don't know how to find worth for myself outside of outside of what my body can give other people. And I think Vasca just shushes Costas and and closes the gap between the two of them and just holds the back of Costas's head against her uh, shoulder and neck. She goes, 
you are so incredibly valuable. You are my dearest friend. You mean the world to me. And there is what protected us that day in Tongal was not your body or your warrior spirit. It was how much you loved and cared about us and about Dr. Luso. And you love her, you say? You still do? Yeah. I think that's okay. I think love... I think love looks like so many things. And the love you have for her is one kind of love, and the love that I have for Atlanta is another. And the love that I hold for you, the love I hold for Amiku, that love is just as important. If not more so, because Costas and she pulls away, and there's tears brimming on her eyelids. Who am I if you weren't there with me? I could not have made it this far without you, Oramika. And that's the truth. Thank you, Vasca. <laughs> I feel like such a stupid pig baby. <laughs> but seriously, um, thanks. I think I, I think I really needed to hear that from you. And you you you're you really mean that, right? Everything you said, you're not just saying that because you think it's something I want to hear. Vaska shakes her head, holds the sides of Costas's face. Costas, I've done many things in my life. Lying to you is certainly not one of them. I do love you. Very very much and places a kiss on Costas's forehead right at the spot that they keep fussing over I love you too you're my best friend and you're mine <laughs> and Costas like touches the part where like the their frozen flesh meets their like actual flesh and there's a pause. <laughs> you know, I have expected that to work. For that to get rid of the curse, but maybe there's maybe there's something else, or I don't know, maybe maybe this isn't so bad. Has anything changed? I'm curious. Uh looking at Costas, there's no change. But for the first time in a long time, perhaps ever since you've met Costas, they like lower their hand from where flesh meets ice and their eyebrows loosen. And then they say, seeing something beyond your shoulder, fuck, I think it's here. And they like reach behind their backs and they draw their twin longswords. And as like the two of you turn and look through this like fluttering flurry of blizzard and snow and ice, you all finally see it in its like full form. Now it's only about like 50 feet away from you so you can make out details. You see 
the entropic beast of the god shard of Nitbuza. A glitching, shadowy silhouette that, from your perspective, Fosca, looks familiar. It's this jolting, twitching shadow, broad shoulders, these tall, proud, coiled horns moving forward like a revenant through the snow. And there's also the silhouette of the hilt of a trident spearing through the center of this beast's body. And as it walks, you can sort of see the back of the trident beyond her sternum. Extending from this beast's silhouette, from the wrists, the ankles, and the top of the head are these long, long, long black strings that look like they're made of like lines of shifting poetry. Like if you peer closer, you'll realize they're not strings at all, they're words. And they go all the way up, 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 up to the crimson sky. And these strings dangle from one of the stranger's many open eyes in the atmosphere, almost like the anchors of a marionette. And this twitching beast comes ever closer. And Costas, you hear them. It's her. It's her body, how did, how did? And you get the feeling that Costas isn't seeing Atalanta. It seems to be somebody's, something's fucked up idea of a metaphor that changes shape based on who looks at it. So tell me, Vasca, how do you square off against this entropic beast? Oh, you piece of shit, you shouldn't have done that. Uh. I, I think Vasca mutters under her breath. You shouldn't have done that. Holds Costas's hand with her right hand as she's swinging parable. And she go and she whispers, make them pay and cast haste on Costas. <sighs> and Costas leaps forward, like charging into uh, the murk and like on Costas, just running, running, running. We cut to black, and over black, we hear two voices. What do you think of this one? It's a little on the nose. Could use some refinement, but I think it will do. I assure you, it will do. I've seen enough of its Cory's favored keeper to know exactly how to push their buttons. And they have so many buttons. All three of them. Like God, like Paragon, like Keeper, I suppose. Say, how exactly do you eat the concept of risk? You jeopardize. Reward, of course. The two-headed serpent coils around the tower of risk and reward. It is an oozing line of serpentine shadow drooling its corrosive black blood over splintered marble and shattered glass. Its two heads thrash 
one on either end of its slithering form. On one head, we see a single swirling green eye cracked open across its featureless face, and on the other, a single yellow eye, perfect inversions of red and purple. The entropic beast rears its two massive heads, each easily the size of a building, and lets loose a roar that shakes the very foundations of Rosso. The glass of storefronts explode, shards of windows peppering the roads like confetti. People scream and flee, running in every direction away from the heart of Nabal's capital. And at the base of the tower, we find three figures standing strong against this harbinger of apocalypse, this ravenous, gibbering god-beast made to devour divinity itself. One of these figures is Cain. Midnight blue as always, the gold bangles on their horns and wrists flashing as they duck, dodge, weave, and dance their way out of the debris exploding from the tower. Even so, their entire body is soaked with sweat, and their usually perfect hair is stuck to the sides of their face, and they're bleeding also a lot. A deep gash on their left arm, right leg, their rib crumpled with some kind of bruise. And still, their robes remain immaculate, a result of the magic, of course, they've bestowed upon their clothes. After all, Kane, alongside the rest of you two, Oka and Jaron, have been fighting this entropic beast for hours. And as we pan away from Kane, who like deftly, I think, back bends out of the way of exploding glass, we're gonna pan across this battlefield to find Jaron. How are you battered and bruised? I think uh, we see Jaron kind of uh one hand on the ground as he's been like knocked back a little bit, like kind of doubled over. Uh, in one hand, they have Risk, their version of Kane's dagger that they've been fighting with. And they kind of like stand up and like move their hand across their jaw, kind of like moving some like dirt and sweat off of it. And his eyes, his blackberry purple eyes that you can finally see again, uh, looking up at this beast. And I think uh, Jaron's like white hair is like peppered with like uh, sand and like rocks and dust as he's been like thrown around by this beast all around. They don't have very much stamina at this point, I think, and it shows. And they're just kind of like standing there heaving, uh, like eyes darting from the creature over to Kane, back to the creature's other head over to Oka, because I think we've been trying to like surround it somehow and it's not going well. Yeah, uh, whenever, you can't sneak up on something with two heads on either end of its body. It's very hard. So whenever you like try to route it, like its other head watches out for it, you know? So like it's got, it's also got two faces, right? You've got three, it's got two, and it's really hard to, for either side to gain an edge. But in this war of attrition, I think the three of you are losing. And as we pan across this shattered, blasted battlefield, we find Oka. How are you battered and bruised? Oka's not a uh, humanoid anymore right now. I rolled for it. They are a uh, wolf, three times the size of Bud at this point. I think they're gargantuan. They're like almost the size of a house and their like gray fur kind of like wintry colors is completely streaked with blood and black ichor and gore. 
and I think they are like huge jaw is like clamped down on like the back scr like scruff or like behind the head of one of these beasts. Uh, and they're tearing with this like kind of ferocity and I think they are pretty immediately thrown off. Uh, and they just like crater through one backwards wall, crash through it, roll, and the form just like, the fur completely like slips off of them. Uh, and they are there. One of their wings is like crumpled in on itself. Uh, and Prism behind their head is like turning and turning and turning and click, 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 click. And I think their face is almost like stuck as a wolf for a moment in this almost like perverse mirror image of the myriad for like a moment where they're just like snapping their jaws in frustration as they have a piece of this like mutt like this empty beast in their mouth until they like finally transform back into themselves spit it onto the ground and start dragging themselves up using dream hunter like as almost like an anchor to push themselves back up off the ground uh immediately by your side kane's there and they're actually grabbing onto your shoulders and preventing you from pulling yourself up and flinging yourself back into the fray Oka! What? You, you what? need to stop! What? You can't stop. I'm fine. Let me go at it again. Oka! And Kane reaches down, and we see that you haven't noticed that your right arm is bent in the completely the wrong angle. And they, they're like shaking their head, and without even saying anything, they crack it, I think, forward back into place, and they're immediately like, you feel healing magic, like, suffuse your bones. You need to take a break, okay? You need to pause here. Jaron and I have the rest of this covered, okay? You have been battered and bruised and thrashed enough. I can do it, Kane. I'm fine. I could have done that. Oka, it wants you. Its real quarry is Vasanti. But if it can get you, it will get you. Just stay here and rest for just two minutes, okay? Not without you. One second. Oka takes a step forward. And I would like to use my first fifth level spell slot uh, and cast Temporal Shunt. It has to make a wisdom save. Make a wisdom save, I guess. Thank you for letting me make a wisdom save. <laughs> okay, so it rolled a six. <laughs> so you're good. Uh, it folds in on itself. It just like folds into a bunch of squares and then it's gone for a minute. Uh, and Oka's head twitches. Uh, we have a few minutes. It's in green open water. My memory of it, I guess. What? Kane, I'm uh, are, fine. Are people okay in great open water? And I think like Jaron like walks uh, into this scene and walks over to where they are. It's a memory of it. It's just in my brain. It's fine. What's going to eat that memory? I hope you know that. It's fine. I hated that place. Where at the very least it's going to mess it up and... Well, Oka, if you could have done that earlier, that would have been... But you wanted to bash its face in, didn't you? It's not going to stay there forever. If I need a break, then let's take a break. Is this even really a break when it's thrashing around inside your subconscious, Oka? Throwing yourself Kane. at this thing and dying is not going to help anyone, okay, Oka? It's not its not going to bring his Sagadin back. I know. I know. Come on, let's... Not here. If it's going to come back when Oka's spell ends. We should at least take it somewhere where it's better for us. Clothal Jungle, there's fewer people there. Kane, are you sure? Yes. You haven't been back there since... I know. But it's... <clears throat> it's clear now that it's not... Obviously, Scott and Nekas aren't there anymore. So, let's go. We don't have a lot of time before Temporal Shunt wears off. And I think we cut to a viridescent jungle. 
all around you the broad leafy fronds of tropical trees, flowers, bushes, etc. Uh, we also see, like, we hear the gurgling of river water in the back. We hear the squelching of your boots over, I think, this perennially wet and rich and fertile and dark soil. And Oka, as you, Jaron, and Cain quickly cut your way through Clothal, you think you recognize certain parts of this forest. You think that's where you were thrown off of your elk. You think maybe that's where that huge, monstrous Ferris wheel of bone used to be. Maybe that's where the haunted Midway was back when the carnival still was here, but Kane isn't letting any of you linger on the memories here, I think. Like, they're just, like, pulling and leading the three of you deeper, deeper, deeper until you reach a kind of, like, natural clearing of sorts uh, filled with these, like, thorny bushes all around. And there they finally relent. Here, we're far away enough from the people of Rosso. Okay, sit, both of you. Why don't you sit, pretty boy? Yeah, why don't you sit? Oka obviously needs to sit, but... sit. Fine. Uh, and Kane actually breaks off a huge leaf and puts it down so they don't have to sit directly on the dirty ground. Uh, and they sit down on the leaf. Kane, you know that you're already covered in... Whatever. Oka sits. Okay. Kane is right. Oka. You can't keep throwing yourself at monsters. You, we need you alive, and Kane, you too. We take risks, but not ones that are gonna kill us. Okay, okay, okay. No, not just okay. I promise me, both of you. You have some twigs in your hair. And Oka reaches out and starts like picking some of the dust and grit out of Chiron's hair. Uh, and they look down their body for a bit until they get to like this solar plexus area where I think Oka can still feel this frayed edge of a promise that they had made before. I don't really like the idea that somebody could cut us apart. And I think quieter this time. All of that sort of urgency kind of deflating out of Chiron's body at Oka's touch. Me neither. But that wasn't a real... I mean, it was a real promise, but it wasn't equal. Maybe that was the problem. No, I don't think it was. Do you think it could be now if we did it again? I think so. But I need to say something to you first, I think. Anything. I'm sorry. I left you a lot, and I never apologized for it, not really. And up until a few days ago, I was ready to leave you again. And I don't want to, and I'm not going to. Not this time. And I think Jaron shifts in a little bit closer and puts their hand over to Oka's chest, exactly where that blood oath the fraying edges would be and just kind of like places it there let's not ever leave each other again not ever can't get away from you pretty monsters and Oka looks over at Kane as well well maybe we won't say never I mean in the case that one of us gets bored with the arrangement I'm kidding I think Sharon just kind of like elbows Kane 
<laughs> You're not getting out of this. Come here. Okay, fine, you two gay lords. You're just deflecting with humor, Kane. Would you rather I deflect with violence? Yes. Maybe. I would. Damn, okay, ganged up on. This is not fair. You would like that, wouldn't you? Uh, you, you know, between the three of us, uh, I don't think there's any question about who the true bottom is here. Yeah, that is true. Oh, okay. No, all right. And I think- You have to uh, stay Jeron still, uh, Oka says, as I think they're taking like a few more like handfuls of hair and they're starting to actually braid Jeron's hair behind them. They shift it. What are you doing? Braiding it. You put it up in a ponytail once and I- Anyway, um, don't you think it would look nice? It'll be out of your face. Yeah, okay. Kane, why don't you... Come here. And I think Drawn kind of like gestures for Kane to come and sit like in front of them and off to the side slightly so that Kane is facing towards Oka, who is behind Drawn, who would be behind Kane. Kane scoots their leaf forward. You really don't need that. <laughs> and Drawn pulls up their hand and pulls Kane's hair back and starts to do the same and starts to braid Kane's hair as well. This is very sweet. Just be careful because I think a braid might work with my perm in a weird way. You know what? Forget it. Just keep doing it. It's nice. Oka, come here. And Kane reaches forward to braid Oka's hair. You know, I think I have the short end of the stick, given the fact that Oka's hair is really, really, really long, and there's also a halo of blood behind it. Oh, come on. You can't work with this? I can I work with to this. Be the, I thought you were supposed to be the most fashionable person in Rasa. Mm. Obviously. I am. Uh, and, <laughs> like, they continue to, like, tug kind of sharply when you say that, but then they, like, relent and continue to braid. And I think after a few moments of, like, silent braiding... Oka just kind of, you know, if this braid gets cut, it'll always grow back. It's kind of nice, isn't it? That is kind of nice. I mean, until, of course, braids are out of fashion. But it's okay, I'm not going to actually, like, cut it. Cut it, I'll just, like, glamour it to hide it. Come on, braids don't go with everything, okay? What, do we embarrass you, Kane? You don't embarrass me. I just have to be... Once we save the world and everything's back to normal again, I'm going to have a lot of fun mixing and matching my outfits. And sometimes they'll include a braid and sometimes they won't. But the two of you will always be right here. And they, like, bring a lock of hair over their shoulder and rest it over their heart. You're not going to like this very much, but I promise. Uh, And Oka, I think out of their pocket pulls almost uh, this little thread of blood I think that I think ties around the bottom of Jaron's braid like a ribbon uh, and then it solidifies itself into thread Jaron like kind of like feels this blood uh, thread kind of like tugging at, at their head a little bit and they kind of like look back and down at it and they uh, take sort of um, their own thread that is hanging off of their horns and they pull a particularly long piece out and it feels almost kind of impossibly long as they sort of tug into their newfound connection to the weave in order to sort of like magically elongate it and imbue it with their own magic and they go to very lovingly and gently sort of like tie a ribbon around Kane's braid as well to tie it closed. Fine, fine, fine. I see what's happening here. 
And Kane, I think, also reaches up to their scalp and they they like pull out a strand of their own hair, which isn't wavy, actually. It's like straight. And they hand it forward up to Oka's braid and like weave it in. Listen, my secret dies and lives by the two of you. This waviness is unnatural. Yeah, I know. I know. But shut up. And I think... Uh, as we're sort of like sitting here, uh, Duran kind of breaks out of the circle a little bit, like turns to face in so that he's facing both of them, takes both of their hands, Oka's and Kane's, in their own, and pulls out their dagger. And they say, hold still for me, okay? And they look particularly at Kane when he says that. Oh, please. Back when I was in the Kusin Guild, we had all sorts of blood torture rituals set up to... Oh! And, yeah, uh, in the middle of Cain talking, I think uh, Jaron takes the dagger, the tip of it, and sort of presses it gently into Cain's palm, right where their uh, lifeline is, and then pulls it along the palm to elongate that lifeline, and then does the same to Oka and then does the same to themselves, And so if you put their hands sort of together in the middle, it's like this one big jagged circle connecting all of their lifelines together with their blood. Where did you learn that? That's blood magic. I, it doesn't actually do anything until you act. I think you mean until we act. You have to give it something, some part of yourself. What do you give it? And I think uh, Jaron kind of sits there and thinks for a moment and then closes his eyes and kind of like leans back a little. And when they're open again, his eyes are like glassy with tears and he leans in and he cries into each of their palms. I think uh, this would be a manifestation of Jaron's grief and care in the way that he has always loved uh, Oka and Kane, Sort of that uh, intensity with which he has always cared about the two of them and the way in which they have tried to protect their lives and the sort of the heart-wrenching grief that comes with that. Hmm. Yeah, I think as those tears settle over your palms, Kane looks at each of you, you know, Oka and then Jaron and then back at Oka and then softly at the two of you at once. All right, then, fine, I'll give something, too. And they, like, lower their eyes to all three of your interconnected palms. And they close their hand into a fist and squeeze. And the two of you feel Kane's resilience flood through your bloodstream. Like, you, I think you even get glimpses of, like, a small tiefling child crying alone on the street. And we flash to Kane in the shadow of bloodthirst and then... Kane at the championship challenge angling for Atalanta, and then Kane spearing bloodthirst through the heart at the top of the tower, and then Kane on the throne, alone, but also not alone for the first time in their life. Their resilience, their determination that has kept them through everything. Every time that they've been knocked down, they've gotten up. And then they unclench their fist, and we see that that line is bright and crimson as always. And then they look at you, Oka. And Oka's eyes flutter closed for like half a second before Kane and Ron both feel their heartbeats start to pick up just a tiny bit. 
and it's almost like being touched by a live wire, but it feels soft and good. And it stutters for a moment before it brings all three of them into rhythm. All of their heartbeats exactly synced up together, all as one. And Oka lets an eyelash fall, like into the center of their palms, just one, one wish. And they give their willpower and their loyalty, an unbreakable bond, an unbreakable tether, bone deep, and their hearts will always beat the same. I think the wounds on all three of your palms glow. They literally glow with three different kinds of colors uh, all at once. There's a blackberry kind of black and purple. Uh, there's also like a silvery soul-like color from Oka and kind of midnight blue glow from Kane. They glow and then when the glow settles down, um, the wound is still there, but it almost looks like semi-healed, uh, like it's on its way to becoming a scar, but it's still there. No more unasked for sacrifice, either of you, okay? No more stubbornness when you should be flexible. No more fear. No I more promise. Fear. Good. This thing is eating a boat in my brain. Yeah, okay, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Why don't you, yeah. okay, why don't you let it out? Yep, 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 all right. Uh, and all eight of the halos like almost line up like it's an eclipse and then this thing uh, shoots out of their head uh, and back <laughs> into reality. I love that. Mark inspiration for that description. I love that. Yeah. This two-headed serpent just out from like the eight rings of your halo and like explodes through Clothal jungle. It like fells a massive tree that like plummets into like a river and like water explodes up and it's like thrashing, 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 both of its heads roiling, roiling, roiling. And Kane turns to face it, squaring off. And I think we pan back to the two of you and I need the two of you to make your war effort roll for me. I think it's about the, the resolve of your bond. So, both of you can choose either insight, religion, or arcana. I rolled an eight, but I got a 25 total. I got okay. a gay 20, which is to say it's not natural, but it is gay. Understood. Thank you. Noted. Uh, so as this two-headed serpent explodes into existence in Clothout jungle, we pan back to Kane, who rolls their shoulders, I think like cracks their fingers together, like carries their arms up and over their head. And they sort of like do these, you know, they jump limberly from like one foot to another foot. And then they look ready. And then we pan up to Jaron. How are you squaring off against this beast? I think uh, Jaron kind of like stands up and the prosthetic, uh, the sort of the lotus flower that is keeping their prosthetic attached to their arm, they take a petal off of it and they kind of like glide it along the blade of their dagger and it starts to glow this like sickly green color as they cast uh, inflict wounds onto their dagger and they are getting ready to sort of like jump at this creature, at this snake. Nice, nice. And then we pan finally over to Oka. Oka holds dream, like pulls out Dream Hunter uh, and then they switch it. They switch their hands. They're ambidextrous. This has been true since arc one. They switch it to the hand that has the longer lifeline now. They give the blade one twirl. I'm sorry, I really should have aimed better. And then they leap forward. Yeah, and I think on that, we're gonna 
cut down, I think, to black as the three of you square off against this two-headed serpent. And when we fade up again, we're in a completely different part of Endake. We fade up on Camp Vanguard. Chaos roils on the edges of this settlement. Massive, roving crimson eyes against an even more crimson sky, raining black blood and broken magic. Snarling, seething, empty beasts menacing the borders. Alliance mages sustaining the barrier around the camp. We're gonna pull past the oil-slick smells of the mess hall, the black, roiling smoke of the smithy, the hay and manure of the stables to find a private tent nestled in a corner of a Talmadi encampment. We're gonna push through these flaps to find Mercy and Sitlali. Sitlali. Mercy is currently tending to you. I think she sat next to where you are, and she's in the middle of saying, Sidali, you really don't know how to take a break, do you? No, no, I do not, especially at the end of the fucking world, my love. Just try, try to take the deep breaths like those clerics told us to, and drink this calming tea, and I'll show you pictures of calming things. Like, they gave me this stack of, look, here's here's some Tulongan fish, right? They're, they're jumping through a waterfall in this part of the book, and, and, and she flips to the next page of, like, a calming picture book. And here are some Tulian frolicking in the silent grove. Look uh, how yes, calming Tilian that is. Yes, in the silent grove is extremely fucking calming oh, to right, me. shit, sorry. Yeah. Uh... Uh, how about this? Look, cute little creatures of the chasm. Manticores and uh, rust monsters and... Ugh, this isn't helping. And she closes the picture book and sets it aside. And Sitlali is like trying very hard to relax, but we've met Sitlali. It's 4D chess and mess all day, every day, 24-7. Doesn't turn off. Um, and I think she's just kind of like fidgeting with... One of Mercy's javelins. And I think they kind of like stop suddenly and look up at Mercy with the look that says that they've had a thought. Sit Lolly, you're supposed to be not thinking right now. Hey babe. Yes, darling. Did you make that list? Do the gears in your brain. My dearest, most beloved Sitlali Thornhart, ever stop cranking, if even for a millisecond. And I think they kind of, like, pull Mercy in. No. No, they do not. That is why I am fucking alive. <sighs> well, doctor's orders are for you to, to rest, and, and how about this? If by the end of this hour, you've proven that you've reached the state of calmness, of relaxation, uh, then I will tell you whether or not I have that list. Is it gonna take you that long to make the list? N no. I mean, also, I'm pretty sure, I mean, like, I might be more qualified than that doctor. Um, I was well, yeah, the yeah. top student uh, for, you know, the entirety of my time in I the court. Um, I, I am so. a, a completely assured that you are more qualified than any cleric here, but you still, I mean, they do still have a point, Silali. You, you gotta rest, and 
look, I'll, I'll start making the list now, okay? How about that? I'll start making it now be because I lost the previous list that I totally, I, I definitely made. Um, so I'll, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll write it down now. Or you can say it out loud and I can write them down so it actually happens this time. <sighs> okay, you know what? You know what? Fine, fine. I'll just give it to you right now. Uh, if, 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 if you, wait, why? You know what? I don't, fine. You've been asking for it. I'll give it to you. And if you have to promise though, Sitlali, after I give you these names, you're gonna close your eyes. You're gonna let me put these chilled cucumbers over your face and you're gonna relax and not think about anything, but how nice it is to relax. Can you promise me that? Can I relax for five minutes and then get back to work? No, you have to relax for at least the whole day. Well, depending on how far we're going, um... Well, remember the conversation all of us had? You, me, gentle Oka, you've drawn. About trusting each other, relying on each other. You gotta trust us, Silali. Because we're here for you. And you need to take a break. Please. But babe, I have a really good idea! <laughs> Just... <laughs> She puts her, like, hands on her hips and, like, frowns at you, trying to be stern. I know, darling, I know, Sitlali, I know. And she crosses her, her hands over her chest. And I'll listen to all the incredible ideas you have after today. I'm even gonna give you a list of all of their names. What 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 more could you ask for, right? Um, I, I could ask for uh, their current locations because we need to do some traveling, you and I. I have thoughts about your thoughts. Mercy sort of looks off to the side, nods a few times, and seems to come to a conclusion internally. And like a, a, a look comes over her face that you've not seen in, I mean, you have seen recently, but it, it's almost, it almost feels tactical. Uh, and she turns and looks at you. <sighs> Is it Molly? And then her hands drop from being crossed over her chest and like one rests on your knee. Darling, let me put it this way. If you rest, it doesn't necessarily have to be a passive activity. Let's first and then we can do that. <sighs> wow, you know, first time in my life that that hasn't worked. You know what, fine, okay. List first and um, then we can rest. Lots of rest, the way I like it. Yeah, all day, all night, just nonstop resting. Should we put a, you know, I'm just gonna, and they cast silence on the tent. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, yeah. And Mercy takes a deep breath and hands you a piece of paper and a quill. Uh, and we're gonna fade down off of this scene and go to a different one. The Silent Grove is anything but. On the fringes of its emerald dappled depths, we see empty beasts, snarling howlers, shivering, quivering tooth spitters, a roaming face stealer with a half dozen stolen expressions stitched onto its fleshy white hide. The invisible footprints of a hydra flare forgotten as soon as they're unseen. 
And still, even with all these roving, gibbering, hungry beasts menacing the misty edges of too long, not a single murderer paints the green leaves red. We follow a cluster of hands, limbs, torso, necks, a shuddering corpse bolus as it pushes into the grove. And almost immediately, this fog thickens, like clouds descending from the heavens, and within seconds, this empty beast is subsumed. Indeed, here, within the newly established dream shield of the Silent Grove, the people of Tulong are kept safe from marauding empty beasts, from corruptive mother's blood, from even aspects of the apocalypse itself, until, of course, the world is saved or doomed for certain and its inhabitants, though safe, are kept in a state of perpetual misty dreaming. And it is within this roiling murk, within this misty weald filled with leaves and branches and bamboo and soil that we find you, gentle. You've been here before. You've fought your demons, you've wrestled the smallest, loneliest voices in your head, and now, your back, willingly, following that breadcrumb trail of someone you hope, no, you know, can help. So tell me, gentle, how do you go about trying to track down Wu Ming? I'm, I think I might set the scene somewhat similar to the last time uh, I was here. Um, so a nice little fireplace, uh, some little haunches of meat cooking. Um, I have a mask again, so I can always offer a trade, too. Uh, and I think I sit and I maybe recite a little bit of poetry that I have worked on since last Sing Wuming, because, you know, uh, she encouraged me to do it some more. So, yeah. Mm. You're, like, trying to draw her out with these little low-pressure, homely amenities, right? And I think the smell of this nice cooking food starts to suffuse the mists. You are in the dream shield, you know this, you're literally dreaming. You know your physical corporeal body is somewhere in the Silent Grove sleepwalking, but here, in your own mindscape, you set a scene that's, well, gentle. And I think as the moments eke on to seconds, eke on to minutes, eke on to what, has an hour passed at this point? But you stand there, sit there rather, biding your time, waiting, patient. Finally, you hear something. You hear someone, rather, who wants to make their presence known because you hear a twig snap. Um, hey, hopefully it's you. It's been a while, but I kind of just want to say hi for a second. G gentle? What are you doing here? I, uh, well, honestly, uh, I kind of need some help. But also, I just have missed you a bit, and I did want to say hi. And we swivel around to see, at the edge of this encampment, a half-kenku person. Uh, they have like a humanoid face and the edges of their face are kind of feathered and black, almost like 
Howl from Howl's Moving Castle, like half transformed, with these oil slick feathers raking up and back to form this long black hair, and these arms, full arms with talon-like fingers and claws, uh, with feathers rippling off of their forearms, and these almost like kind of talon-like feet as well. Ooming. But there's something about her face that's like strikingly beautiful, almost. Uh, and yet, like after you look at them and then look away, it's almost like you kind of forget what they look like a bit. Like even though they're very beautiful, it's almost in like an understated, some might say forgettable way, but only some. Wuming stands there cupped, I think in the palm of shadows, surrounded by mist. You missed me? Yeah. Um. Yeah, actually, a, a good amount. Um, I mean, like, I, I kept up writing poetry, like you recommended. Um, and yeah, I uh, even defend you from Mercy being, you know, Mercy. Yeah, I miss you. Uh, oh, Th- thank you. I, I missed you too. Oh no, you're not here because you're lost, are you? No, came in here willingly. To find... Me? Just to say hello to me when the world is ending? I don't understand. Well, it it is twofold. I do need help. We need help. The Alliance and everyone else. But also, if the world might end, it is important to me that I do see some of the people who are, matter to me. I matter to you? Yeah. I don't matter to anyone. I mean, I gave you my mask. That's significant to me, at least. Your mask. Your mask. Your mask. And she turns around, and we see that she's strapped your mask almost like at the base of her neck, and has like adorned it, has essentially bedazzled it with like pebbles and coins and stuff. It looks good. I I like it. I do. I have a new one, but like that one's that one's the mask. Like a new one. Any- yeah. And she she's immediately at your side now. Like, like you don't even hear her approach. She's like, it's almost like she teleported and she's right by your side and she's like looking at you kind of intensely. A new mask. Where? Where? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I got this one um when I was in uh Dabathati, uh and they show the mask with like adorned with the three different colors. Colors of Yudabathi. Do you worship Yudabathi? No, but a lot happened there. And I was in a, a fighting pit happened. It was, it was a weird couple of days. Um, but no, uh, in fact, I'm more of, uh, I guess, I work with Nitbuza. Um. You smell like her. Like thread and ice and frozen things and stories around a campfire. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I do like a lot of those things. Um, and I, speaking of thread, I can kind of see and feel little threads between things and people now can help us sort of keep people together or, you know, help people out. It's kind of nice, actually. Wow. That's amazing, Gentle. You're amazing. You, there's no way I can help you or the Alliance. I wish I could, but I'm just not, I'm just not really good at anything except hiding. And no, 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 no. I came here to find you, specifically. There was one person I only could think of to help, and it was you. I don't understand, but the only reason people want 
my help is to get through the dream shield, or to steal things, I guess, or to hide. No. I... I can't properly state how much you helped with me getting past the dream shield. They're just, I guess, opening up to other people, too. Um, maybe the first person outside of, like, the hounds that I actually just, I think I could consider a real friend. You're important to me, and I wanted to find you. Oh. Uh, are your other friends still very messed up? Yeah, but so am I. We all kind of are. That's kind of how life goes sometimes. That is true. Gentle, I'm just... You are keeper of Nibuza now, and I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can make a promise to a god and keep it. What if you fail and let everyone down? Then at least I gave it my best shot. But I am not trying to fail. I'm going to do everything I can. And thats I think that's what all of us are doing. I'm scared to help, gentle. I'm scared because if I admit I can help, then people, mercy, people are going to expect things from me. They're going to have these expectations placed on me, and I don't know if I can live up to that. Uh, if wooming is okay, I want to put like a reassuring hand on her shoulder. I've <laughs> I've been there uh, a lot, uh, actually, and I've learned that I can't do everything, and I would never ask you to do everything. And you can just do what you can, and that's enough. Helping is is good, and you know, with you, we could help save everybody. And you don't have to be a big hero forever. You can help us do this one thing and you can come back here and relax and rest and that's okay. No one will think any less of you. Gentle, for your war effort roll, please roll persuasion. Bless, okay, okay, okay. That's a 17, that's, that's really good. That's great for me. Noted. Wuming looks at you and nods once, twice, almost like a bird pecking at seed, and then like unexpectedly flings herself forward and hugs you in like a flutter of black feathers. Reciprocate the hug, obviously. And then she like just as abruptly breaks away, almost kind of violently like flapping her wings, almost like she's gotten overstimulated almost immediately. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I can help for you, for the world. For mercy, for you. I want to help my friend. Thank you. And honestly, this also means we can absolutely gloat in Mercy's face. Speaking of, actually, there's a group that I might need help with later if you want to join it. Um, we can talk about it after the world's saved, but I'm gonna start my own thing. Yes, I join. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, then, here in the Dream Shield, you want to try to find the tether, yes, to your friend, Hitsagaten? Absolutely. I can maybe show you how to start doing it. We can prepare a little here before we go back to Camp Vanguard. That sounds perfect. Um, 
hands. And she lifts up her feathered hands and holds holds them out for yours. I, I take, I offer mine. She like curls her fingers around yours and takes it in a deep breath and exhales. Takes in a deep breath and exhales again. And I think, gentle from your perspective, everything sort of goes gray as you close your eyes. And like you start to focus on the threads. Even though your eyes are closed, you can see them. Dozens, hundreds, thousands, millions of threads representing the connections we all have with each other. And you very easily, I think, are able to pick out the one binding Oka and Dr. Aluso. And Wooming's there too. It's just sort of a backdrop of the two of you holding hands and all around you is black and just these threads everywhere. And Wooming goes, that's the one. Let's focus on it. Pull it toward us. As we pull on it, pull on it, pull on it, you feel them for the first time since they got folded inside Oblivion. You think you feel Dr. Eluso. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that really fascinating? Truly, I mean, what is this place? It's so misty. Are these clouds or trees? But it doesn't seem like we're in the sky. Dr. O? Exactly. And gentle, I think you like are pulled out of yourself as we continue to narrate and feel this greater presence in this place that I've never quite been before, I think. I've heard tales of it, certainly. Stories of it, but I've never been here myself. What is this? The Silent Grove. That's right. That's it, but not exactly even the Silent Grove. This is what? The Dream Shield? And what's this? Bar off to the side here. Let's see. What? Some sort of tracker? Some sort of tally? Oh, but you're not doing very well, are you? Let me just move this off to the side. And based on everyone's war effort rolls, Doom is going to strike. I'm going to roll a d8, and we're going to see what happens. It was an 8! That means I get to roll twice, and two things happen. Okay. Above and Dake, we get a bird's eye view of everything. To the north of the southeastern quadrant of the Godspine, we see the tangled collection of tents that is Camp Vanguard. We see the sweeping forests of Jukai along the eastern uh -oh. seaboard. We see Zima Lake up north. We see this protrusion of the Paluto Weald. We see the three islands of Uhanahi to the south. We see the body of the stranger itself still clawing its way out of the Euclid chasm. And we see one of its hands, which is also a blade, which is also a pillar, which is also a tower, which is also a hand, come down onto the top of the god spine, right above where Dabathati is, and wrench peak by peak, mountain by mountain, the entirety of the god spine is pulled out of the earth, uh, lifted up into the sky by the single huge hand, and crushed. 
and we see exploding in the sky, covered by crimson light everywhere, the mountain, the greatest mountain range in all of Andake shatter into dust as it's uprooted from the earth, exploded and disintegrated into nothing. But that's not all. Even as the god's spine crumbles all around us in these huge plumes of dust, there is a noise like, well, it's hard to describe. It sounds like wind whistling. What is that? Sizzling? What is that? Dust blowing across glass as the Hema Sea evaporates. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Brooke in Seattle, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Matt Sweeney, Purple Mouse, Riley, Spencer Critchfield, Scruffesis, and Target.